Well, the back of your shirts have a phrase, ask, seek, and knock. We talked about that the first night. All three of those words imply something that when we go to God in prayer, we're going to be persistent. We're going to keep knocking and keep asking until an answer is given. And it reminds me of what happened to me actually on Friday night after that session. I went back to my cabin, which is one of those little dorm rooms right above um, the, the snack shop. And I got to my door, and I didn't have a key. Alexander was in there with the kids, but the kids were sleeping. If you know anything about kids and you know anything about my wife, you know that she has a big sound maker, like a legit massive sound maker, and it's super loud. It sounds like an airplane. And what she does is she'll always play it as loud as it possibly can. So I show up to the door at about 12.30, right after I went to all your guy dorms, and I, I saw you guys. I came back to my room, and uh, I just, I, I quietly knock, and uh, no answer. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I get it, sound maker's on, let me just, I don't want to wake up the kids, but I just kind of want to knock a little bit louder. So I started knocking a little bit more, no answer. So then I'm like, you know what, I, I would hate to wake up the kids, but I think I need to wake up Alexandra, because I think she's asleep. So I start knocking, full on knocking, no answer. So, you know, at this point, I don't know if I'm frustrated or embarrassed. I actually kind of felt embarrassed because I'm out in the middle of this hallway. Nobody's in this whole building except for my wife and my kids are in there. And I'm knocking and knocking and knocking. And I probably stood there at that door knocking increasingly louder for six or seven minutes. Just like, hey, Alexander, hey, 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 Alexander. And just kept knocking. And I kept thinking, what in the world? This girl is not a heavy sleeper. But she was asleep and she was, you know, then she comes to the door all cute. Like, hi. Like, <laughs> You sleep? It's like, yeah, I was asleep. Uh, it was kind of embarrassing. I told her, I said, I, I was standing there feeling really weird. Like, I just walked right into all the guy dorms. I just was able to just, I walked in and, you know, surprise some of you. And, you know, you guys are having your conversations. And I just, like, walk in. You'd be like, whoa, what are you doing there? Um, but then at my own door, I have to knock really loud and for a long time just to get in. Well, I had no other choice. Because if I didn't do that, like, literally, I don't know where I would have slept. I mean, if I did not knock and if she did not open the door, I really had no other choice. And I think that's kind of what Jesus drives at when he says, ask, seek, and knock. The idea is you're knocking until you get an answer. You're continuing to pray until you see God answer. Like there's not another option. Right? For some of us, we just think the other option is, okay, I prayed once, I prayed twice. Yeah, I prayed for that thing, but I'm not going to pray about it anymore. Um, that's not the right response. I guess it depends on what it is. If you're praying for something that's wrong or you're doing what James 4 says, praying for things for God to just give you things to spend on your own desires or sinful passions, then yeah, stop praying for those things. But when it comes to what we talked about last night, the big things that God asks us to pray for, you might ask once or twice or three times or a hundred times or for 20 years, but you need to keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking. And that's going to be a spiritual battle. It's going to be hard to do. So I want you to turn to one passage this morning, Luke chapter 18, to see that there's a battle going on to keep you from praying, and you need to work your hardest to continue in prayer. Check this out, Luke 18, verse number 1. As much as we don't want to admit it, people haven't really changed that much. In fact, you can go back to Bible times, and we're all pretty much the same. That's why if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, what you'll find there is that the same kind of problems that were going on 3,000 years ago are the same problems people have today. Here, I'm going to adjust my microphone. I'm going to keep talking. Um, as you're turning to Luke chapter 18, look at this. It fell apart on me. There you go. It's almost in. 
Have you ever threaded a needle in front of 200 people? Imagine what your hands would do if you did that. Nope, not in. I'll try again. You ever, you ever threaded a needle in front of 200 people? No, you've never done that, have you? Okay, good. All right. Are you in Luke 18? You're in Luke 18, aren't you? Yeah, you're there. Okay, Luke 18. Jesus tells a parable. Look what he says. He says he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and to not lose heart. I was saying that times haven't really changed, right? We still need that exhortation. We still need to pray and not lose heart. It's not like things have gotten easier. In fact, I think things have actually gotten harder for us with the more technology, the more distractions. It's actually harder, I think, for us to focus and to keep praying than it was even for these people. But Jesus told the parable for us. Look what he says. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was also a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. So you can imagine if you've got a widow and she has an adversary, what's probably happening is someone's trying to take advantage of her because her husband's dead. Maybe they want a piece of property or maybe they're trying to steal land or maybe they're, they're trying to steal business away from this lady and she's the rightful heir, she's the rightful owner, but there's guys that are out there trying to take advantage of her. Someone unjust trying to take advantage of her. So she goes to the judge to try to plead her cause to the judge. This is, you know, still happens today. But when she keeps going to this judge, it says, for a while, he refused. But afterwards, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. His motive to, like, answer the request is not to say, oh, I really want to give you justice. It's like, I just want this lady to shut up. That's what happens during the games at Revival Summer when you ask for spirit points. It's not that I like the spirit points. Sometimes I just want you to go away when I give you spirit points. You know, it's like, all right, I gave in and everyone comes and tries to get spirit points. I'm like, all right, all right, go back to your tents. You know, the problem is sometimes when I say that, this is like a little secret that I'm letting you know. If I give everyone spirit points, I give no one spirit points. Because spirit points are a tally basis, right? So am I going to really go on my sheet and mark a bunch of tallies? Like, yeah, I'm not going to give any spirit points if everyone gets them. So maybe I shouldn't have said that, but maybe I should have because, you know, you got to be unique with your spirit points. But this is how I feel. I've actually probably quoted this to you. I feel like the unrighteous judge sometimes. It's not that I like your spirit points. I just don't want you to keep asking, right? I'll give it to you. That's what happened in this scene, right? And he says, look, this judge doesn't even have to be good to answer requests. And you know that. I mean, you could talk to somebody and ask for something, and it doesn't mean the person's good if they give you the requests. And he's making a big point. Listen to what he, he, he says here. And the Lord said, which I like how in the Gospel of Luke, oftentimes Luke says, the Lord said, right? This is Jesus talking. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect? Elect is a word in the Bible that means chosen people. It's just a reference to all the people that are God's people. Do you think that God will not give justice to his people? And look what he says, who cry day and night. These people who are praying constantly, do you think God is not going to answer these prayers? Specifically, in this context, for justice, does will he delay long over them? Or is God going to sit there and, like, you know, dangle the answer to your prayer request for a long time in front of you just because he's upset or mean? No, if God doesn't answer your prayer requests when you ask once or twice or three times, there's a reason for it. There's a reason. It's not that God's not listening. Right? There's a reason. Maybe God does not want to answer it right now for you. 
Maybe your prayer request is a bad prayer request and God is keeping you back from getting what you asked for. So many people ask for that, right? They ask to go to a certain college and they ask to marry a certain person and you have no idea how bad of a request that is. So oftentimes God doesn't answer it. And you can look back in hindsight and say, God, I'm glad you didn't answer that request. But here it says, do you think God's going to delay long over a good thing that he wants to give to his people? No. I tell you, he'll give them justice speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When Jesus comes back, the question is, who is going to be praying? Who's going to keep praying? And who's going to be praying in faith, trusting that God is going to continue to answer prayers? Even built into that, Jesus kind of has this assumption that there's going to be a lot of people that when he comes back don't have faith. A lot of people that profess to be Christians that kind of give up on prayer. I told this to you last night, but if Jesus comes back this year, I think you want to be found praying. Maybe not in the very act of praying when Jesus comes back, although that wouldn't be a bad thing either. But you want to be a praying person. You don't want to be ashamed and stand before God and have him say, okay, what did you do with your life that I gave you? What did you do with the gifts? What did you do with all the teaching you got? What did you do with the Bible that you knew? Just say, oh, not much, not hardly anything at all. Well, what were you praying about? Well, God, you know, I, I, I was lazy with my prayers. God, you know, I, I didn't really ask for big things because I was afraid maybe you wouldn't answer them. So it kind of scared me away from asking for big things don't want that to be the case for any of us. This sermon is all about the continuation of prayer. We talked about, okay, if you never pray. That was the first sermon. Second sermon last night was, hey, what kind of things should we be praying for? But this morning, it's very simple. The easiest sermon of them all, the hardest to apply though, how do we keep praying? How do we make patterns and habits of prayer so that you don't just you know, go from this camp, which you probably prayed more this weekend than most weekends, and what about next weekend? What about the week after? What about Tuesday? What about Thursday morning? How are we going to do this? This is what this sermon is going to be all about. And Luke 18 helps us. And the first point I want you to write down, I want you to keep praying because you need to anticipate a spiritual battle to keep you from praying. Very important that you understand this, that some people get the wrong perspective of prayer. They think, okay, this sounds so awesome. This sounds so good. And then you pray once or twice and it's amazing. And you think, okay, I'm going to continue asking God. And then maybe you ask God for some things and then he, he answers the request and it's clear. And then you give him thanks. That's the perfect paradigm, right? We ask in faith, he answers, and then we thank him, right? It's like Oreo, right? You know, there's, there's two sides to this and the, you know, the cream in between, right? Um, point is, you, you want to do these things, that's good. But the problem is so many of us do it once or twice. We get in seasons where we pray. We get in times where we don't pray, right? We have like good times and bad times. The challenge this morning is how can you continue to pray? And I called it a spiritual battle because that's what Jesus calls it. We talked about this passage a few times, but in Matthew 26, it's a very instructive passage. It's where Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he wants the disciples to be praying. But he says, look, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He says, can you not just stay awake for one hour and watch and pray? That's really hard for us, especially if it's the middle of the night. What if I came into your rooms at 2 o'clock in the morning this morning and said, hey, we're all going to pray for an hour, right? That would have been pretty hard to do. The spirit is willing. You might say, I'd like to, but the flesh is weak. There's a spiritual battle going on that is going to keep us from praying. In fact, the New Testament says that all over the place. One place that it says it is in the book of Ephesians. We're going to study this pretty soon. Ephesians chapter 6, it says that we have a battle going on, not with flesh and blood, not with you and people. That's why if you're having trouble praying and you feel like people are a distraction, be careful not to get mad at those people. Be very careful that you don't lash out against the people that you think are holding you back from prayer. Because that can happen, right? You can say, oh man, I'd like to pray, but man, my brother and sister, they're so annoying. And I see them in the morning. Be careful that you don't get mad at your brother and sister 
because they're likely not purposefully trying to keep you from praying because if they knew it was good for them, they'd want you to pray because you'd probably be a better sibling, right? They're not keeping you from that. But look, there is a spiritual battle going on. This is Ephesians 6.10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil has schemes or plans or manipulation tactics. Uh, he's got game, basically. Right? That's a weird way of putting it. But he knows what he's doing. And guess what? You're not the first person he's done it to. Okay? Um, he knows how to get you distracted. He knows how to keep you from praying because he's done it for thousands of years with millions of people before you. He knows how to do it. He knows how to, it's very easy with your phone. He can just give it right in front of your face. And then you go scroll, 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 scroll mindlessly. And then look, all the time for prayer is gone. Right? You could have started out with good intentions. And then it, and all, what happened? It all went away. Verse 12 of that passage. This is Ephesians 6, 12. It says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Right? It's like you're going to face temptation tomorrow and the next day, and so many of us never prepare for temptation ahead of time. We just seek an escape route in while it's happening. Right? We think, okay, I just want God to you know, put down the, the rescue preserver um, you know, right when it's happening, but I'm not doing any preparation beforehand. That's problematic. Right? We need to do preparation, and part of our preparation for temptation is prayer beforehand. Six verses later, Ephesians 6.18, after he lists all these figurative you know, pieces of armor, right? the, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, feet ready to preach the good news, he says, all these things, here's what you should be doing. Praying at all time in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So not, don't just pray for yourself, right? That's, that's a good place to start. Pray for your spiritual life. But then he says, go even beyond that and pray for all the saints. Talk about all these Christians that you know. You should take people, so to speak, before the throne of God and pray for their spiritual life too. Right? If you ever run out of things to pray for, start praying for other people. Right? That's really what all of us should be doing. You'll not run out of things to pray for because you know enough people, you can pray for days on end. Right? The reason that we don't pray is not that we don't have enough to pray about. It's that we give up too fast, that we fall to the spiritual battle, that we say, oh, I'm going to let things distract me. I'm going to put myself in situations that are dangerous. I heard one time a story of a guy that came into a, a counseling office, a pastor. He came to meet with his pastor, and he was mad. He was mad at God. And the reason he was mad at God is because he fell into some serious, serious sin. And what he said was, I prayed to God because I felt tempted and I still fell into sin. Um, the pastor took a book, put it on his desk, and started sliding it towards the edge. And he started praying. He says, God, please, please don't let this book fall. God, please don't let this book fall. God, please don't. And then it, you know, then it fell. It made a big sound. And the pastor sarcastically said, oh, I'm really mad at God right now because he made that book fall. Okay? And the point was to this guy who was walking into temptation, he says, you might have prayed against temptation sometimes, but if you didn't do anything about it, if you didn't take any steps to limit your exposure to that temptation, if you didn't walk away from it, and I think this temptation was based on an inappropriate relationship this guy was having. He says, you didn't, you didn't stop it, you didn't cut it off. He says, well, you, you pushed it off the desk. You might have been praying for it, but you, did, you didn't really mean it. Maybe you felt sometimes where you felt like, oh, I don't want to do it, but your whole life has to be in this if you want to beat temptation. 
It's praying at all times in the spirit. That's the only way that we're going to fight this spiritual battle. You should expect Satan to make it hard for you to pray. You ever try to sit down and pray and uh, you remember all the things that you forgot to do? Has that ever happened to you? It happens to me often. I sit down to pray and then I start praying and I'm like, oh, I remember what I was supposed to do this morning. I forgot. And then you want to go and do this next task. You know, and you want to grab a post-it note and start writing all this stuff down that you remember, right? Why? Well, because there's a spiritual battle going on. Because Satan would rather you be productive and not pray than for you to pray. Satan wants, like the last thing Satan wants is for you to pray. That would be the worst thing for him. It would be the best thing for you. He's going to present all these temptations, some things that are good. You're going to be sitting down to pray, or, or maybe you walk, maybe you do things. And that's another good thing. We'll talk about that later. But um, there's tactics and techniques to get your body moving when you pray that might keep your mind more engaged. There's some things you can do. But let's say you start to do that, and you're about to pray, and you start praying, and then you come across some person, or you come across, you know, an idea, and you think, man, this is a really good idea. I'm so glad I got this idea. Well, if that idea is going to steer you away from God and get you back into, you know, normal life and get you back into your homework and stuff, although you might think, oh, man, it's good that I'm doing my homework. What's better and what's best? Right? I think it's best for you to block out that time and spend it with the Lord. The Bible says, we talked about this earlier, but 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says, be sober-minded and be watchful. That word watchful or sober-minded, it's actually used earlier in 1 Peter 4, chapter before, 4, verse 7. So 1 Peter 4, 7, it says, be watchful and be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So it's like, you know, we're praying that God wouldn't let the book fall off the desk, but we're supposed to be sober-minded for the sake of those prayers, right? God is going to answer these prayers, but we got to be ready and sober-minded. He says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Right? Who, who paints a, a target on their back? We mentioned this before. Who paints a target on their back to be spiritually attacked and to fall into sin? Well, it's those of us who don't pray. It sets us up for a fall. If we ever wonder, man, why did I fall into some sin? I really, when you're confessing that sin, trace it back. Just think about it. Just be logical about it. Trace it back. Okay, I fell into this sin. Why did I fall into this sin? Well, because I was in a place I shouldn't have been. I was doing things I shouldn't have done. I, I, I broke my own rules about this, and I didn't stop saying stuff, and then I kept talking, and then, oh, then trace it back further. Trace it back far enough, you're going to find, oh, I wasn't praying about this the way that I should have been. That's usually at the root of these things. That text says, resist him, firm in your faith. How do you strengthen your faith? Well, it's by praying, by being in God's word. Some things that are going to try to keep you from praying. Some very basic things. Um, unconfessed sin will try to keep you from praying. Um, you will fear the light, so to speak, like Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 20. Right? Men love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. They don't want their works to be exposed. That's one reason we don't pray. It's because we've got sin between us and God, and we're like, I can't, I can't ask for something. Well, I've got this sin in my life, so instead of bringing that sin to light, confessing it, and then going on to those supplications, we just... Avoid talking to God altogether. We ignore him. Some people ignore God for weeks, months. Some people ignore God for years at a time. Unconfessed sin will keep you from praying. A wandering mind will keep you from praying. Right? Let's just be honest. We all have wandering minds. Everyone always has, but for some reason, it seems to be harder. Maybe that's just because it, we are so accustomed to seeing new things right in front of our faces all the time that our brains are trained to always expect something new right in front of us that makes it really hard for us to focus, but a wandering mind. Like, you know, there's a million studies about this that, you know, Gen Z has like the lowest attention span 
and that's not your brain's fault. It's not your fault. It's, it's the fault of we give ourselves to watch things and see things that are always instant, you know, instant gratification. If that's true, then we should work even harder. We need to work harder to have a focused mind. That means we need to do more things to separate ourselves from distractions. Another thing that will keep you from praying is distraction. Right? Your phone will distract you. Your to-do list will distract you. People around you will distract you. Even if people mean well, even if they're not trying to keep you from praying. Right? Remember, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against spiritual forces. The reason we say all this is because the Bible's very clear that the command for us is that we're supposed to constantly pray. Romans 12, 12 says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, says rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So we can all sit here and say, okay, I know that God wants me to pray more. I know he does. One of the things that's going to help you pray more is to pray with other people. Right? Obviously, we don't want your whole prayer life to just be you in groups of people, but that's something that really can kickstart our prayer life. If it's not just me praying by myself, but it's me and someone else at a scheduled time where we spend this time praying. I mean, you can even plan out prayer meetings, even if it's just a couple people, just three people. You know, on this Tuesday morning, we're going to get together and we're going to pray, and that's all we're going to do, and put it on the calendar, and that's the only thing you're allowed to do. You're not going to talk about stuff. You're not just going to hang out. You're just going to pray. Things like that are helpful, even if it feels like, oh, man, it feels like such a duty or such a chore. It's like, well, you keep doing that. It's going to grow you. You don't do that. My fear is that oftentimes what's going to happen is you're just going to zone out and never pray. It's really hard for us to continue to pray. I mentioned this, but Acts 2.42 says the early church got together and prayed. That wasn't the only time in the book of Acts. Acts 12.5 says, so Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer was made by the church to God. So the church got together and said, oh, there's something big going on. Peter's in jail. The pastor's in jail. Let's all get together and pray. It's probably something they were doing regularly. But if there was some big need, I hope that we would get together and say, we're going to pray about this. We're not just going to scheme. We're not just going to strategize. We're not just going to talk about, okay, what's the best thing? We're going to go to God in prayer. There's a spiritual battle to keep us from doing that. We need to be aware of that. If you expect time to fall into your lap to pray, I hope you know it's, it's not going to happen. Many of you tried that, right, and hope that maybe you would just find time to pray. You ask people, how often do you pray? It's like, well, I just kind of pray throughout the day. Right? That's the most common response I've ever heard to that. Um, and some people do pray throughout the day, but it's usually the people that pray at specific times who are actually praying throughout the day. That's what I've found to be true. It's the people who get their mind focused on the Lord, even if it's in doing simple activities like getting dressed or brushing your teeth or driving in the car, who have like uh, things that they do and it's like that's a time when I pray. But those are patterns and those are habits. The point is, point number two, I want you to carve out time to do this. And as you write that down, turn to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six, verses five to eight. Talk about this, specifically verse six. Carve out time to pray. Every day. Matthew chapter six. Once you write that down, is the introduction to the Lord's Prayer. So this is similar to what we talked about last night with Luke 11. Right? It's a parallel passage where Jesus describes how we should pray, what kind of things we should be asking God for. And right before he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before he says all that, he rebukes people who pray only with other people, which would just be interesting to think that through, and I want you to maybe evaluate that for yourself as you're turning to Matthew chapter 6. What percentage of your prayers are with other people and what percentage are by yourself? 
How many words do you pray to God? How many words are you engaged in in, in public prayer? Or maybe at the dinner table, or maybe, you know, at church, or maybe with a small group, versus how much by yourself. Not to say that praying with people is bad. We just said that's a good idea. It gets us, you know, kick-started. But here it says that there's a temptation that if all we do, if all we do is pray in public and pray with others, we're making ourselves into hypocrites. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Look at verse 5. It says, and when you pray, notice it says when you pray, not if you pray. It doesn't say if you decide that you should pray. It says, oh, and when you pray, the expectation is that we do. You must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. It's so funny. If, if someone said, I love to pray, this text says hypocrites love to pray. You see where it says that? For they love to stand and pray. So loving to pray in a group of people is not always, not always, a mark of godliness. It could be a mark of hypocrisy. He says, they love to stand at street corners and pray. And in the synagogues, that they may be seen by others. That's the reason they pray. Not to ask God, not because they love God on their own. They just want people to see them doing godly things. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. In other words, God's not listening to them. People have said, your, your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. God doesn't even like them. There's a passage in the Old Testament, Proverbs 28, I think verse 9, says the people who do wicked and aren't willing to repent of their wickedness, even their prayers are an abomination to God. So it's like their prayers work against them because it, it proves their, their knowledge. Look at verse 6. Here's the passage we want to focus on here in point number 2. It says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. What's the principles there? Find a place, go into your room. So find, you need to find a place to pray. Right? You want to start writing some stuff down from verse number six? Find a place. Go into your room, right? It doesn't have to be your bedroom, but find a place. And then shut the door. What is that saying? Well, be be private. Be by yourself. Go to a place where you're not with a bunch of people. So go to a place, find a place that's not with people. Maybe we'll add to that whole shut the door idea that's free from distractions as much as possible, right? Obviously, there's distractions anywhere. You could be closing your eyes, and you could be, you know, in a jail cell with nothing, you know, in the place, but you could still have distractions, right? Um, but you want to minimize those distractions is the point. And then it says, and pray to your father who is in secret. For your father who sees you in secret will reward you. This passage is so good because it tells us very specifically, hey, when you pray, that's called finding a time. Where you pray, right? It's called finding a place. Right? Going to the secret place, the room, your closet. And so many people think, oh man, I don't have a place to pray. Like if I said to you, all right, here's the plan. You are going to pray for, let's just say, let's say the assignment is 30 minutes a day, right? That's arbitrary, right? That's not a, you know, no Bible verse that says that, but let's just say we all committed to do that, 30 minutes. I'd say, when are you going to pray and where are you going to pray? And if you started to think about it, you think, okay, um, imagine it's Monday morning, you're getting ready for school, Tuesday morning, getting ready for school. Where would you go in the morning? Like what spot 
could you go? I mean, a lot of you don't have your own room, right? I don't have my own room. <laughs> I share it with two people right now, um, with a baby and a wife, right? So it was like, maybe my room is not the best place to go. That's why even here, it's like, go to your room. The idea, some people have said, it's like going into a closet, right? And it's like, oh, well, I don't have a walk-in closet. Well, do you have a bathroom? Right? Well, you know, some of you, you have a bathroom that you share with siblings, so maybe that's not the best place to pray. You know, if you spend, imagine you spend 30 minutes in the bathroom praying, and they're like, you know, knocking, hey, get out of the bathroom, right? So maybe the bathroom's not the best place, but start thinking about it. Like, where would you pray if you had to? And, and I want you to think, like, if you had to, because really, we do have to. Right? We're going to miss out, going back to sermon number one, like, if we don't make this a pattern, this is going to fall through the cracks, and a lot of people will end up not praying. We'll end up hearing sermons about prayer, and we'll like say, okay, I want to pray, but we won't pray because we never make a plan to pray. Where would you go? Maybe downstairs, maybe outside, maybe your front yard, maybe your backyard. Maybe you'd have to just walk. Maybe you just have to put your AirPods in and just walk around the neighborhood. Maybe you have to do it in your car. Maybe you have to do it somewhere where people aren't. Where would you do it? When would you do it? That's what he's getting at. And if you think, man, I'm too busy, like, Jesus, I mean, back in those old days, you could just walk outside and, you know, there'd be less people around. Well, I don't, I don't be so sure. Right? Or if you said, oh, you know, back in the day, maybe they had big houses and lots of land. Well, I, I don't think most people in church history who've heard that verse have had more spots than you. They haven't had more places than you. There's a story of Susanna Wesley. She was a, um, the mom of, of John and Charles Wesley and they're famous theologians and songwriters. They wrote a lot of songs that you know. Hark the Herald Angels Sing and um, And Can It Be, right? They wrote those songs. Uh, their mom, what she did to pray was she went to the kitchen. She put her apron over her head. And all her little kids, she had like nine kids. And they knew mom was praying. Don't bother mom if she has her apron over her head. That's when she's praying. Right? Um, so you can all find a place to pray. Right? And see, if you did that, see, it would look, make you look so weird. You'd be like, I wouldn't do that though, right? Let me find a less embarrassing way of doing it. Right? Okay, let me just challenge you. If you can't, if you can't find a less embarrassing way to do it, are you going to say I'm not going to pray because I can't find a less embarrassing way to do it? And again, I'm not saying throw your, you know, your sheets over your head, but maybe that's where you, maybe that is where you pray. Maybe it is in your bed even before you get up in the morning. Probably you won't be the most active and awake, so it's probably not the time I suggest. But if that's the only place and the only time, at least start there. I want you to find a place to start. If we think we're too busy, listen to this. Daniel, chapter 6, verse 10. Daniel was one of the leading magistrates. He was like one of the leaders of the whole empire of Babylon. This guy was rich and popular and famous, and there are a lot of people that wanted to hear from him. Daniel 6, 10 says that when Daniel heard that this agreement was signed that you couldn't pray, he went to his house where he had windows to his upper chamber, open towards Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. I don't, I don't know when he did this. I assume one of these times was in the morning. Maybe he came home for lunch, right? which by the way, no, no car, He's walking to and from his house. Obviously, maybe he had servants. Maybe there are easier ways for his food to get there. But I bet your food is probably brought to you by a bunch of servants too. I bet you're not making your food every last day. But he makes time to pray. And he goes home. I think that's interesting. Like I don't go home every day at lunch. Like I rarely go home at lunch. I'll either eat out or I'll bring something to the office or you know, I'll go somewhere. I don't go home for lunch that much. But he went home for lunch 
from work every day to pray. Maybe he prayed right when he got home. Maybe he prayed late at night. Maybe that was the three times. I don't know. But the point is, three times a day, a guy who was more busy than you, more busy than me, who had a to-do list longer than he could ever accomplish. He had things that he left undone every day because they didn't get done the day before. But he made time three times a day to pray. You might say, well, he probably had a big house. Obviously, he's got a great place to pray. Well, you know, Jesus didn't never really have a house. It says the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. So if, if you feel like, I don't have enough space to do this, well, listen to what Jesus did. This is in Luke chapter 5, verse 16. It says, Jesus went and withdrew to desolate places to pray. Like he went as far away from everybody. Like he went off into the woods. Right? There's no woods there. He went off into the desert is where he went. There's no woods in, in Israel. Not like this anywhere. But he went off and he said, I'm going to go pray. Sometimes he would tell the disciples, I'm going to go pray. It says in Luke 6, the next chapter, Luke 6, verse 12. In these days, he went to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. The point is, Jesus is like removing himself. What did Jesus do in the last three years of his life? He always had 12 people around him all the time, didn't he? Who were always with him. All the time. Not just like sometimes, not just when he was at church. No, all the time. And he's responsible for them. He's the rabbi. They're the disciples. So literally to get away from them, he has to literally get away from them. That might be what you need to do. You might literally need to get away for a little while. It doesn't have to be all night. Maybe just start by, give it an hour. So some of you who have cars and you got a lot of things to do in the afternoons, maybe what will be good for you to do, maybe you have no time in the morning, maybe you have no space to do it at home, maybe take your car and find a park and go somewhere and just say right after school, I'm going to go, I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to pray, and I'm not going to leave this spot until 3.30. I'm not going to leave this spot until 3.30. I'm going to give it the time. Or find however you can do it, but just find a place. Devote yourself to that. We all find time to make um, food. We all find time to get food because you're hungry, right? <laughs> or you just skip meals because, you know, you're lazy. But most of us find time to get food. Ask me if you want about trying to find pizza last night in Big Bear City. Um, it's not good. I'll talk to you right now. Last night we had that chicken curry stuff, right, for dinner. And you knew, like, you know, that's not Johnny Boy's vibe, right? He doesn't like that. Uh, literally, like, three of you asked me, did you eat it? I'm like, uh, you know, right? You know. I had some. It was okay. So I was, like, going to get pizza. So I called this place, the only pizza place that I've been to in Big Bear. You know, no answer. Right? I had to ask Dan Blankenship what, like, I, there was a signal on the end of the line. I'm like, what does this signal mean? He's like, that's the busy signal. Keep calling back. I didn't know what it was. Um, you, you don't know what the business cycle is either. So, yeah, there you go. That one's for the leaders. Um, so I'm calling. I call eight times. And I'm like, you know, I'll just drive there. This was like between dinner and the session. So I'm thinking, I got to get back to the session, right? So, yeah, you know, talk to you guys. Yeah, okay. This, this is why you didn't get pizza last night. Uh, I'm going, trying to find it. Uh, go to the place. I pull into the parking lot. There's like bumper to bumper traffic. There's more cars in the parking lot than there are parking spaces. So, like, they've made makeshift parking spaces, there's a line out the door, and it was like 6.30, like 30 minutes to session. I'm like, oh, man, I can't get pizza here. So I, you know, I turn the SUV around, and I'm like, you know what? I saw a Domino's. This is great. I saw a Domino's. Um, I'll just, like, call Domino's, right? Because they can probably make it in the next 20 minutes, right? Come on. It's Domino's. I call. Then it says, you have to order online. So I, you know, as I'm driving in bumper-to-bumper traffic, I'm like, okay, uh, ordering on Domino's. Okay, two cheese pizzas. Great, great. So I order it, right? $18.67. <laughs> I 
It doesn't tell you when it's ready until the very end. Tip if you're ordering at Domino's. Does not tell you when it's going to be ready until the very end. After I order it, and I place the order at 6.32, it said, your order will be ready in 71 minutes. Come back at like 7.43 or something. I'm like, that's halfway through the sermon. Like, I don't know if we're going to do this. And I was like all upset. Like, oh, man, now I literally went out to go to Peace Place 1, rejected. Go to Pizza Place 2, and I'm like, I can't even get pizza there. So then I come back, and I talk to Roy, and I'm like, do you want to like go during the session? He's like, I can go. So he's like, he goes at the beginning of, at the end of worship. He goes, right? He shows up there at 7.43, whatever. And he's like, I'm here for John's pickup order. And they said, oh, the, the app lies to you. Your order 692, we just finished 590. Um, we have 100 orders ahead of you. Yeah, your order might be ready in like two and a half hours, or, or maybe not. So you cannot find pizza on a Saturday night in Big Bear City. And I tried really hard last night. I wasted an hour of my life, and Roy wasted another hour of his life, and we did not get it. We ended up with Taco Bell, but it was okay. Um, the point is, if you want something bad enough, you're going to find the time to do it. You're going to make it happen. Right? We all are that way. My, my goal with this sermon is find the time to make this happen. One of the most convicting verses in all the Bible for me, and I hope it is for you too, is in James chapter 4, verse 17. This is a good one to memorize. I find this rattling around in my head all the time. James 4, 17 says, For whoever knows the right thing to do, and fails to do it, for him it's sin. I think that a lot. Just personally, I, I'm just like, oh, I should text this person about this. I should encourage this person about this. And sometimes I'm like, ah, that'll be weird. I don't know what to say. And then that verse comes like a lightning bolt in my mind all the time. For him who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it's sin. It's no different with prayer. If we know the right thing to do and we don't do it, if we know we can carve out time, if we know that we can sacrifice time from our Instagram reels, and we know we can sacrifice our time from our YouTube shorts, and we know that we can sacrifice our time from different things that we do, but we fail to do it, right? to us now, because we know, here's the, here's the scary part about this whole sermon series, right? I, I'm presenting you options of we're going to obey God or we're going to disobey God, because right? now we know. If we fail to do what we know we should do, for us, it's sin. I want to teach you a way to pray that might be helpful. It's, in my experience, been the most helpful way to pray. It keeps me on track. It keeps me focused, and it keeps me motivated. Um, so for the rest of our time here at camp, and even for small groups, small groups are going to be a little different this morning. Um, you're not going to have application questions where you sit and you read a verse, and then you, you know, ask a question, and then you talk about it, and then you feel too awkward to share, and then you hope your friend talks. It's not going to be like that this morning. Plus, you can't go back to your small group rooms. <laughs> so here's what small groups are going to be today. We're going to practice a type of prayer that I found extremely helpful. And I mentioned it to you a little bit in December. It's called praying the Bible. Okay, so point number three, write it down like this. Learn how to pray the Bible. Learn how to pray the Bible. What does that mean? How would I pray the Bible? Well, in front of you, on your laps, you have God's word, Right? John 17, 17 says, your word is truth. Jesus said about the Bible, which by the way, if you think that that's some man-made third century doctrine, remember Jesus is the one who gives us that idea. 
who says that God's word is truth. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Like, you want your soul to be revived? You want to feel less dead on the inside? What's going to do it? The Bible. You feel like you're simple in the sense that you don't understand the ways of the world and you want to be smarter and you want to understand how people work and you want to understand how the world is? It says, the testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes you wise. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoice in the heart. You want to be happier? Read the Bible. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You want to be smarter? Read the Bible. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Right? You want to do something that's going to last forever? How about fear the Lord? Because we're all going to be doing that in 10 billion years. We're going to be fearing the Lord and living in his presence. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Right? We want something that's good and pure and right, which in our world of like, just seems like everything is just so tainted with badness. It's like you can even have good things in the world that are nice and fun, but then sin just is so evident in all of it. It's like, man, I just want something perfect. We all have this desire for perfection, right? And God's word does that for us. Why am I mentioning all this? Well, because if you think about what's the best way to present our prayers to God in a way that we know this is going to be good and right, well, use God's word to help you pray. That's the point. That's what praying the Bible is. It basically means you take God's word, you think about it, and then you pray based on what that text says. You ask God for things based on that text. It's, it's like your rooms. I walk into some of your rooms and they just don't smell good, right? Your dorms. You know why they don't smell good? They probably smelled okay before. They probably smelled like, you know, wood and tree sap and, you know, natural things like that. But then you all showed up, right? Not you, the person that you don't like how they smell in your room, right? And you all know because they're big cabins, right? I walk into these rooms, right, and it's just like, <sighs> okay, you know, how'd it get that way? Well, scientifically, I think it was the odor was on you, and it came off, and it was in the air, and it went all around, and that's not very scientific, but I think that's pretty much what happens, right? Uh, it just kind of circulates and whatever air movement is in the room, it's like that air just gets moved around. And if it's good air, great. If it's dirty air, then yeah, not good. Right? And that's the cause of all the smells. Right? And if you are one of those people that took the top bunks, right, maybe you smelled it worse because you know, if there's some hot air, maybe that was rising a little bit at you. There's a little bit more science for you. Um, so something like that. right? That's what happens. Now, if one of your friends takes the Axe body spray, which is just a classic camp tradition, and sprays it everywhere. What happens is that little amount of spray takes over the room, and it spreads, and now it, everything smells like that. You're going to go home, and your mom's going to be, you know, washing your socks and be like, wow, I mean, this, this smells like Axe body spray. And you're like, yeah, because that one friend, he sprayed it everywhere, right? And it's like he got it on all the crevices, and it's like it just kind of spread everywhere, right? <laughs> that's kind of gross, but that's the picture of what praying the Bible does. It takes a truth and it gets it all spread over in our minds and it touches every part of how we pray. I wanna give you an example of this. Everybody turn to Psalm chapter one. Turn to Psalm chapter one. I'm just gonna give you an example. I wrote these things out as I was preparing. I'm gonna show you how to pray the Bible. 
And then we're going to practice it. That's what small groups are going to be. You're going to spend time going through Psalm 23 together, and you're going to pray that psalm. A person's going to read a line, and then they're going to pray. It can only be, I mean, maybe 30 seconds. And then once they're done, the next person sitting next to them is going to read the next line. And then they're going to pray for 20 or 30 seconds, or a minute, or two minutes. And then once they're done with that line, the next person is going to read the next line. And you're going to go around in a circle in your small groups until everybody's done. But here's how to do it individually. Psalm chapter 1, look at verse 1. Here's an example. Blessed is the man. Stop there. You might pray something like this. God, I want to be happy. I want to be blessed. I know that you're the only one that can make me happy. The world has terrible options that tempt me to deny you. Options that try to tempt me to be happy in some way that displeases you, but I trust you. I know your ways are always right, no matter what I feel. I know my flesh and my feelings lie to me often, but I know your word stands fixed in the heavens. It's perfectly true. Thank you for graciously showing me the path of life where there's fullness of joy for me. Help me live up to this. Back to the text. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now back to prayer. God, help me believe you at all times. And help me believe you so that I would stop giving my attention to any sinful influences in my life. I confess that sometimes I like being with people that are bad influences. In moments of clarity, like right now as I'm praying to you, I know that if I keep following fools, I'm going to suffer harm. It's hard for me, honestly, when everyone seems to be doing the wrong thing. But I know that Jesus knows what it feels like to stand alone. And I know that he knows what it feels like to do what's right when everyone else is doing wrong. Help me be bold like him. Help me stand out from the crowd so I can please you. Prayer over. Back to the text. Look at the next line. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Pause. Back to prayer. God, I know your word is always true. I know you created all things. And I know that you know how everything works. I've only scratched the surface of knowledge that you have. I can never understand as much as you know. Please help me be more humble. Please help me submit to your word. I want to meditate on your word day and night. I admit that I sometimes fill my mind with worthless worthless things when I mindlessly scroll on my phone. I know that your word is so much better. Help me think about this all the time. Back to the text. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Pause back to prayer. God, I know that the only way to live a fruitful Christian life that actually makes an impact on other people in the church is if I am anchored in your word. Thank you for my parents. Thank you that they taught me by example what it looks like to have a biblical way of thinking. I always want to bear fruit like this tree. I don't want to have seasons of spiritual dryness where the work I do for the church has no impact. I confess that I've neglected you far too much in the past. Forgive me. I trust that your mercy is great. Back to the text. In all he does, he prospers. Pause. Back to prayer. God, you know that I want whatever I do for you to prosper. God, you know that I don't want to fail in whatever work that you've assigned for me. 
God, you know that I don't deserve any praise, but you do all the time. Help me accomplish the work that you've given me. I'm your servant. I'm unworthy even to claim that title that belonged to Moses and Joshua and Elijah and other godly men. I trust that if I work for you, you'll make my way prosper. Help me obey you. Please help me. Back to the text. The wicked are not so, but they're like chaff that the wind drives away. Pause. Back to prayer. God, you prove every day that the wicked are here today and gone tomorrow. It doesn't matter how rich they are or how famous they are or how successful they look. You bring them up and then you bring them down. I know that wicked people will never have the last laugh. The people that hate you are the people that will face your wrath one day. I know that there's nothing that they will get away with. Please keep me from wanting to be with them and be like them. And please, save more wicked people from the consequences of their own foolish decisions. I know that you're pleased when you save sinners and you save lost people. You know my heart. You knew that I would be exactly like them if you had not shown me mercy. God, you're good, and you do good. Thank you. Back to the passage. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Pause. Back to prayer. God, I know that means that even now more wicked people will feel uncomfortable the more they get to know godly people. Please, help me remember this. Help me not be discouraged when people don't like to hang out with godly people. Please help me be the godly person, even if it makes the wicked, so to speak, feel uncomfortable. End of prayer. Back to the passage. Last verse here. Check out the last verse. Psalm 1, 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Back to prayer. God, you know me altogether. You know my thoughts from afar. You put me together in my mother's womb. All the days of my life were written, written in your book. And you collect all my tears in your bottle. Because of Jesus, I know there's no condemnation for me. Amazing love, how can it be? Help me pity the wicked. Help me do the work of snatching them out of the fire. Please, God, for your own sake, show mercy to many more. Amen. We just prayed through a psalm. That was just a simple, that was me, right? My, my thoughts, right? You might have put in different things. You might have said different things. But do you see how we went through just a little tiny six-verse psalm? But I don't know how long that took. Maybe well, eight minutes. It didn't take very long. Likely, if we are praying on our own, we would have prayed longer. Those are just thoughts that I wrote down. But what we're going to do next, what I want you to focus on it and, and do is, in your worksheet, do you see at the back of your pamphlet, once you turn the very last couple pages, this week as we were prepping for this, I, I went through the whole book of Psalms, and I wrote occasions, and here's basically what these are all about. Praying the Psalms can be hard because we're like, okay, which one should I pick? Well, if you look at the back of your, your worksheet, can I borrow someone's worksheet real quick? Can I borrow someone's? Yeah, thanks. Um, if you look at the back here on page 10 and 11, um, this list I bolded some of them, but basically, so we just prayed through Psalm 1, the list of occasions, right? Let's say it says, when you, need to recommit your, when you need to recommit to live right before God. This is a great psalm to pray through if that's what you're going for. It's like, I need to, oh man, I need to live for God more. I need to recommit to that. Psalm 1 is a good one to go through. 
we're going to do Psalm 23. That's a, a famous one, so that's why I want you to do that one together. Psalm 23 says when you need to remember God's care for you. Right? If you're in a time where you need to feel like, oh man, I need to remember that God cares about me and loves me. Psalm 23 is a great one. A lot of these are bolded because I think they're especially good for praying. That doesn't mean they're better than the others. It just means they're more devotional in nature. Some of these are not so devotional in nature. We didn't do um, every last psalm, but um, I wrote them all from the perspective of when you, and then dot, dot, dot. When you're desperate and need to seek God. When you're anxious about the details of your future. Psalm 37. When you have a deep craving to know God better. When you envy sinners who can do whatever they want. When you want God to start a revival. Psalm 115 is a good one. When you want to praise the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Psalm 123, when you're looking to God for mercy. Psalm 125, when you need God to protect your heart. Psalm 91, when you fear the unknown. Psalm 90, when you come face to face with death. There's so many, right? Psalm 51, when you're caught in sin and you need to repent. There's tons of things here. And basically what we're going to do today in our small group time, is going to be, I want you to find one of these psalms. And maybe if you got a book, I want you to circle it. Circle one of these psalms that you want to pray through on your own. Don't do Psalm 23 because you're going to do that together. But I want you to circle one of those psalms and say, that's the one I'm going to pray through. And then you're going to take some time and maybe 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, pray longer than the seven minutes. Those are very short prayers that I did through Psalm 1. But I want you to do that. And the reason for this is not just to like burden you with another assignment. The reason for this is I think so many of us just need some guideposts and some help to get us started with our prayers. This is a good way to do it. Let me pray and ask God to help us. We're going to sing one more song, then we're going to go off to small groups. Let's ask God for his help in all of this. Let's pray. God, we are truly thankful for your word. We're thankful for the examples that we have in it. We're thankful for Daniel and for even the example of Christ living a righteous life amongst a lot of other people, but he did what was right and he sought your face and he got away from the crowds to pray to you. I ask, please help us do the same thing. Pray that we would not receive all these messages and, and commit to pray and want to pray and wish to pray, but then fail to pray. God, please consume us with a desire for you Please give us good ideas today in small groups about when and where to pray, where our secret place is going to be, what time we're going to pray, even to get it on our calendars and get it just etched into our mind. I pray that we'd write it down and we'd get excited about it. More importantly, I pray that we'd follow through. I pray that the end result of this whole weekend would be that you turn us into praying people and that you get the glory in the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.